Produced in association with KPMG Australia, this is What Happens Next with Bernard Salt. Please evacuate! Hello, I'm Bernard Salt. On this edition of the program, in the wake of bushfires, floods and a pandemic, we discuss with two disaster management experts how Australian communities have become more resilient. Communities have stepped up to run local relief and recovery centres in small halls across the country. What we've seen, I think, is the very best of Australian spirit, of community spirit, of humanity. And we catch up with the former Director-General of Emergency Management Australia, now Senior Advisor with KPMG, Mark Crossweller, to hear his view on business resilience in the wake of multiple crises. The economic outlook is still much better than what we had originally forecast. So I think that's certainly um, a testament to the economy and to the businesses and communities that have sort of bounced back. That's all coming up when we discover what happens next. Well, there's no doubt that 2020 has been one of the most challenging years on record for the nation and the world. Just over a year ago, Australia was in the grip of a series of devastating bushfires that swept across the country. We know the weather forecast for tomorrow is at catastrophic levels. And based on that, I've accepted the advice of Commissioner Fitzsimmons and declared a state of emergency. I can confirm that uh, we've still got 150 fires across New South Wales, millions of hectares currently in New South Wales on active fires. Communities and resources were stretched to the limit. Can I give you a hand, mate? Is the fire coming? We're going to leave now. How far? How's the burning behind you? in the street behind you, mate. Behind you, a fire. We're going to go. And just when the heat of the fires started to subside, along came another challenge, a deluge of flooding. We had over 3,300 requests for assistance. We're getting a lot of flooding into homes through roof damage and trees down, as I said. And if that wasn't enough, a global pandemic threatening lives and livelihoods spread across the globe and, of course, Australia. We take far more draconian measures to enforce social distancing, particularly in areas of outbreaks, but more stronger measures will be coming. But through it all, there has been a thread of grit and determination. I've seen very much uh, this past season uh, the worst that Mother Nature can deliver, but I also saw the very best in our people. Uh, the frontline firefighting effort, the volunteers, of course, people from New Zealand, United States and Canada. Partnering a persistence to overcome and rebuild in the face of these crises. To look at this more closely, I spoke to the Commissioner of Resilience New South Wales and Australian of the Year New South Wales, Shane Fitzsimmons, and Amanda Leck, Executive Director, the Australian Institute for Disaster Resilience. Amanda Leck, Shane Fitzsimmons, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bernard. Hi, Bernard. Amanda, I'll start with you. A year since the devastating bushfires we saw around the country, what have we learned? Well, I think we have learned that communities are inherently resilient and we have seen this time and time again where communities have stepped up to run local relief and recovery centres in small halls across the country and really worked with their fellow community members to help them through what has been a, a devastating uh, disaster event with the bushfires and, you know, they're working on their journeys toward recovery again. 
But I think we've also learned that we will increasingly across Australia have to face bushfires and other disasters such as floods that are unprecedented in terms of their intensity and scale. And finally, I think we've learned that we need to work with communities more than ever so that communities understand the risks they may face due to a changing climate and to take action to reduce those risks and to become more resilient. Shane, you have started a new role. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's an honour for me today uh, to be able to announce and accept uh, the new role of Commissioner Resilience New South Wales and Deputy Secretary for Emergency Management. After 35 years with the Rural Fire Service, both as a volunteer and a salaried member, and of course my last 12 years or so as Commissioner, it's been a privilege and an absolute honour to have served in this organisation alongside so many tens of thousands of wonderful individuals, uh, and in particular... How has that changed your approach to disaster management and ensuring resilience? I think the biggest change, Bernard, is that I've now got a responsibility for looking at a multi-hazard environment. And we're not just talking about natural disasters, your typical issues of, you know, bushfires and storms and floods, but it's also about the criticality and the growing interdependency on demographic movements and land use patterns and shifting, critical infrastructure, uh, telecommunications, utilities, power, water, sewerage, um, the interconnectedness of roads and rail and airports and those sorts of things. And how do we look at um, into the future uh, getting local individuals and families and businesses, local communities, understanding and appreciating what their vulnerabilities are, what they're susceptible to, and then more importantly, readying themselves uh, for the likely disruption or, or event that might impact on their life. What can we do individually and collectively uh, to invest in low cost, no cost, right through to significant investments around reducing the impacts, reducing the likelihoods, prevention activities, mitigation activities, responding to and dealing with uh, whatever happens, whatever that big event is, but then most importantly, um, coming out the other side and rebuilding, recovering, repairing, but most importantly, healing the emotional and psychological um, uh, well-being of communities and making sure that we grow and prosper out the other side of those disruptions and emergencies and events. Amanda, how do communities, in your view, become more resilient in the face of multiple disasters like we've seen across this year? Well, we know from the research, Bernard, that people need to personalise any risk before they can take action. So if they don't understand that they might have a risk for bushfire or flood, they're unlikely to act. And I'll give you an example of that. I did some disaster relief work in Kempseyshire in northern New South Wales in early January. And I was working directly with a community that had been significantly impacted by bushfire. And when I spoke with those community members, they said, we are normally used to experiencing floods at this time of year. And in fact, we were doing uh, bushfire relief work and driving across small rivers that had flood markers on them. So that community didn't understand that it had a bushfire risk. And with a changing climate, that's what we're going to see more and more. So people need to understand and personalise what they uh, might face in the future and then translate that into taking some action at a community level. Things like how and where they might access warnings, what are the pre-planned evacuation routes for their community, where will evacuation centres be located. I think the other thing we can do is share good ideas across communities. At the Australian Institute for Disaster Resilience, 
We share a lot of good practice examples and most recently through the Resilient Australia Awards where we we share some of the best examples from across the country about how people are becoming more resilient. And what we need to do is share those good examples so that other communities can become better prepared and more resilient. I'm interested, can you teach resilience or does there have to be an already present reliant trait embedded in a community, which naturally comes to the fore when dealing with a disaster? Uh, it can be taught. Um, and I think it's taught um, internally uh, uh, as individuals growing up in family units. So, so if we really work out what is resilience, resilience is our ability to, to anticipate, uh, ready ourselves, endure impact, disruption, distress, um, anxiety of, of some significance and then deal with that process that work through that but then importantly um, come out the other side of that and be better prepared and, and, and better able to function going forward. So the research has shown us over and over again in my previous role with the Rural Fire Service that even we'd get the researchers in after fires that impacted uh, communities very heavily and what we found over and over again was very high percentages of people would acknowledge that they lived in some of the most at-risk fire-prone areas in the state, if not the world, uh, but the same percentage of people, very high percentages, 70 80% plus, also then said, uh, I knew I should have and could have done a lot more to prepare myself uh, and help prepare and save my property and, and family and what have you. So I think I'm, I'm a very proud, proud Australian and there's wonderful Aussieisms around like, she'll be right, mate, no worries. But she'll be right, mate, no worries doesn't cut it uh, when it comes to understanding, appreciating, and most importantly, personalising our vulnerability or susceptibility to events or disasters that might impact the way we live, the way we operate, the way we work. And I do believe the extraordinary implications of COVID on top of so many other disasters uh, in the last 18 months or two years has really um, awoken people's thinking about what they might be susceptible to and how they might better position themselves going forward in anticipation for those sorts of shocks and disruptions. What about you, Amanda? Do you think resilience can be taught? I think it is possible and I think we need to start with our school communities. So many, many schools across the country are involved in working with their students around disaster resilience education. We see some really innovative programs being run now around science, technology, engineering and maths. Uh, there's a STEM Academy in North Queensland that's working with young people and they're now delivering that program to more and more schools across Queensland. For each of you in your individual roles, what are the relevant takeaways that you will build on in the future? I might start with you, Shane. Yeah, thanks, Bernard. I think what we've seen over the last 18 months really reinforces uh, that resilience is, is not the domain or purview of one individual, one organisation uh, or one government. Uh, it's actually a shared collective community responsibility. What we've seen, I think, is the very best of Australian spirit, of community spirit, of humanity. And going forward, it's our capacity to harness that Australian spirit and that want to look out and care for one another factoring that in up front to understand and appreciate what we're vulnerable and susceptible to, how we prioritise that, but most importantly, how do we affect um, appropriate and necessary individual and collective action uh, and investments to ameliorate the impact and ensure that we deal with things appropriately 
and come out the other side better and stronger. Amanda, your key takeaways? We need to get better at using data and evidence to decide where our priorities are, where our investment should be made to reduce disaster risk. And I know that that is something that the Commonwealth Government is uh, looking at. I think we need to uh, really think about the importance of continuing to build accessible knowledge and information so that communities are well informed and able to make those decisions and personalise that risk based on where they live and, and what they might be exposed to. I think we need to continue to build networks of peers who can share their knowledge and to help each other across a community landscape, across households. And I think we've got to continue to build capacity so that our practitioners can work with community members uh, and that they can understand and really come to terms with the changing context in which we are living in Australia now and continue to help each other. Amanda Leck and Shane Fitzsimmons, thanks for helping us discover what happens next. buzzwords are a hallmark of any year. And of course, 2020 was no different. Words like unprecedented, pivot, nimble, and innovation were amongst the most common, and for good reason. For businesses, the ability to remain nimble, to pivot, to innovate, was the key to survival. Such as we saw gin distillers making hand sanitizer and shop fitters making work from home office furniture. We saw high-end restaurants doing takeaway. Celebrity chef Matt Moran. It was about observing what was going on and then pivoting. It's something that I've actually kept. So Chiswick is still available for takeaway and so is North Bondi Fish. So it was really creating a, a completely new market. And cocktail bars making batches of beverages for home deliveries. And of course, multiple businesses went virtual. To find out more about how various business sectors have coped, I caught up with Mark Crossweller, Senior Advisor with KPMG and former Head of the National Resilience Task Force and Director General of Emergency Management Australia. Mark Crossweller, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bernard. Mark, how have various sectors of business coped with the multiple disasters, such as the bushfires, the pandemic and the economic downturn? Some have coped quite well, and I think it's because they have anticipated on some level the complexity of the world in which we operate. And there are some really good examples, I think, of corporations. Um, Look, the Insurance Australia Group is one that I know specifically, but they really did adapt well to all of the rolling crises that came through. They mobilised their workforce to work from home. They had the technology in place. uh, They had the culture in place to do that and had the leadership to, to foreshadow or foresee it and to act on it. So they're probably an exemplar in my mind, but many other companies have and can do the same thing. And there are two aspects to that which make it successful, a culture that can accept that and leadership that can lead through it. Have Australian businesses proven to be much more resilient coming through the pandemic than they were at the start? Have they coped better than expected? Some have, Bernard, and some haven't. I think those who are really on on the the fine line um, of profitability, I think, have struggled immensely. And and we have seen a collapse across the business sector and 
uh, even in my local community, there's some businesses that just haven't made it back. So some have come back better. Some will come back eventually. Uh, some, Many will come back much different, of course. And I think COVID-19, just like climate change and other uh, global events, are ruptures in every sense of the word. And they're also transformational experiences. So we can't go back to the way things were. We have to transform and adapt to a new world, a new way of thinking, a new way of operating. Um, so some have done it well, Bernard, but but some haven't because they've been quite, I think, rigid or fixed in their in their worldly views and hoping that they can persist through these things. But these things are too complex, uh, too enduring to be to, to simply rely on persistence. We need adaptation in culture and leadership, and we need the capacity for transformation as well. How have these multiple crises affected our communities and business sector? And would you say that we are now more equipped to deal with challenges in the future? I think that's a little too early to tell. I know that the mental health impacts have been phenomenal and and really we're still navigating through the complexity of those. And the reason I raise it, Bernard, is that I think that that's essentially what all crises do is that they not only transform businesses and economies, but they transform people as well. They transform their psychology and how they see the world. So I think we're getting through it. I think we've done reasonably well and certainly the economic outlook and forecasts on jobs growth and GDP and so on and so forth are looking much better than what we had originally forecast. Well, today's national accounts confirm that Australia's economic recovery is underway. The Australian economy is coming back. Facing a once in a century pandemic that has caused the greatest economic shock since the Great Depression. Australia has performed better on the health and on the economic fronts than nearly any other country in the world. 80%. So I think that's certainly um, a testament to the economy and to the businesses and communities that have sort of bounced back or stepped up and move forward to the extent at which they are able. But often in crises, we don't see the long-term effects for for you know, quite some months after the, the initial impact or the initial event is actually over. So a little too early to tell, but I do remain confident that Australia has a, a resilient culture. It has a resilient nature to it. So far, the trajectory looks pretty good, but we do need to look after each other and we do need to put in place the support mechanisms for quite some time yet. to to help people through what is is still the tail end of a very difficult set of circumstances. Mark, it appears that there has been strong and coordinated leadership across federal, state and local governments, as well as a variety of business sectors. Would you say that's why Australia is in a better position than many of its global counterparts? Look, Look, I think so. For all its challenges, and Australia has a federated system, so Commonwealth state relations, state local government relations, and then all those relations with the private sector are complex. Um, but we're quite um, amenable and adept to managing crises reasonably well in Australia because we essentially have so many of them. The, the natural hazard world for Australia is complex and and frequent, and uh, and we've been pretty good at moving moving with the times. We've now got to get ahead of the times, of course. So, so I think um, making hard decisions early, um, rallying the cause. Uh, opening up the dialogue to uh, across business and government, so you know, putting all the issues on the table and inviting sectors in to work with government on solutions is really important. I think that partnership needs to get better and stronger as time goes on. It's good to see it's worked, particularly through COVID, um, and I think that can only get better as we move forwards. What are the strategies that have been developed and used during this period 
that will be effective for challenges in the future? I think it was the Prime Minister's move towards a national cabinet, the setting up of an industry body below the national cabinet to provide advice on COVID recovery, the advice given by experts in the health sector. Uh, Similar insights were recommended by the Royal Commission into national natural hazard arrangements. I think the government's contemplating those at the moment. They're all very sensible things. They bring in at the highest level the big thinkers and the shapers and the influencers and the captains of industry along with politicians and government to really navigate through these complexities. And it, it, it has to start there, Bernard. I mean, individuals and communities can do a lot but they can't do it all. And the biggest levers on shaping economies and societies, marketplaces, economic policy, social policy come from government and good policy comes from government talking to business, the marketplace and communities about what the best policy settings are. So we've seen that in the most sophisticated way that I've seen in the last 35 years of my career. And I can only applaud it and hope that they continue to embed it and improve upon it as time goes on. Mark Crossweller, thanks for helping us discover what happens next. You're very welcome, Bernard. Hello, I'm Whitney Fitzsimmons, the executive producer of What Happens Next. And now it's that time in the program for something a little bit different where we turn the tables and I get to interview our host and resident demographer, Bernard Salt. Well, Bernard, what a great lineup of guests we've had on the show for this episode. What did you think about Shane and Amanda's take on teaching or learning to be resilient? Well, I was fascinated to hear what both of them had to say. I particularly liked uh, Amanda's view around teaching resilience in schools, that you can prepare people for risk, whether it's bushfire or flood or I suppose even, you know, sunscreen and so forth. There's a whole series of education programs that we can increase in intensity to better prepare us for the future. And I particularly liked a phrase that Shane used. This was, resilience is about being able to anticipate, to be ready, to endure, and then to recover. And hopefully, I think we're in the recovery phase at the moment. But again, I thought this was a terrific case. We need to be educated uh, around minimising risk and then uh, endure it at times and uh, look to the recovery. All of that, I thought, was, uh, was great advice. The other thing that Shane said that I thought was particularly apt was his comment that there's an Australianism, she'll be right, uh, and that sometimes she'll be right just doesn't cut it. We do need to prepare for this. There are certain things that living on the Australian continent mean that we just need to manage better than anyone else on the planet, and bushfires is, uh, is a prime example of that. And of course, Bernard, it was really interesting to hear from, from all of our guests about how businesses are more equipped to handle challenges in the future because of what they've gone through in 2020. There is no doubt that the coming of the coronavirus, the uh, the lockdowns and all of the, you know, the floods and the bushfires that preceded that really has had an impact on Australia, Australians and Australian business. If you look at the way in which the business community responded very, very quickly to moving online, to uh, enabling workers to work from home, to finding new markets. Um, you know, the example of the gin distillery that uh, pivoted into hand sanitizer. I love that uh, example. But again, it shows the resilience, the agility, the adaptability, the survival ability, if there's such a word, of Australians and Australian business. Yes, there's been certainly a lot of heartache and pain, but there's a lot to take out, I think, from this experience. 
And if we can carry that forward, that resilience, that determination, that ability to survive and actually to find a new way of doing business, something that you know might be online or it might be a new process or something like that, I think there is every chance that we can come out of this uh, with um, some s- strengthened processes in, um, in, in the business community and hopefully in the broader community as well. All right. Well, that's all for the program. Thank you, Bernard. Thank you, Whitney. And thank you for listening to What Happens Next. You've been listening to What Happens Next with Bernard Salt. Produced in association with KPMG Australia. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.